Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. This morning, we'll be reading scripture from Luke 22, 7 through 23. Then the day came of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And and they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I will not eat until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and he gave thanks. He broke it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of God goes and has been determined, but woe to the man of whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be, who is going to do this. All right. Yeah. We've got brave kids around Hill City, don't we? This is so cool. So cool. So we've been walking through Luke. Go to Luke 22. Let's just jump in. We'll kind of narrate the story to catch us into the scripture they read. We've been following Jesus now from Luke chapter 1, the very beginning, when he's born all the way. We are in the last 24 hours of Jesus' life before he will go to the cross now. It says the feast of unleavened bread (coughs) drew near. This is the Passover. The Jews celebrate the Passover in what's called the 14th of Nisan. This is the day that Israel was led out of Egypt and it's that day. And and the Jewish calendar works different than ours and so it's, it's like not one particular day. It could be end of March, beginning of March, April. But it's the 14th of Nisan. There would have been 100,000 extra people in the city of Jerusalem. Think about that. Downtown Springfield, this little area, let's call that Jerusalem, 100,000 extra people. I mean, there are people everywhere. They're cramming in homes. They're sleeping in the alleyways. They're there from all over the region to come to celebrate this week-long feast that's called Passover, week-long celebration. Verse 2, and the chief priests and scribes were seeking to put him to death. They want to get rid of Jesus. We've talked about this. He is now has called himself the Messiah. He's flipped over their their money-changing operation. They want to get rid of him, but they fear the people. We got to remember this too. At this point, the people still love Jesus. They think Jesus is the Messiah. They think he's come to rescue them. The Jewish people love Jesus. So the the Pharisees, the scribes, they can't just go in when he's there teaching at the temple and and arrest him. There will be a revolt on their hands. They've got to think of a way to get Jesus arrested when the people aren't there. They've tried to trick him where the Romans will arrest him, you know, by him pledging allegiance uh, or uh, declaring allegiance against Caesar. He didn't do that. They're trying to find a way. Verse 3, then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot. This is one of the disciples. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray with them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him in the absence of the crowd. So Judas approaches the scribes and the Pharisees and says, hey, you want to get rid of Jesus? Give me some money. I'll help you do it. The gospel writers don't tell us why Judas betrayed Jesus. One of the the gospel writers, I believe it's John, suggests that it's because of money. 
that Judas wants money and maybe he's sick of seeing Jesus give money to the poor and teach that the poor uh, are, are a huge, you know, love by God. We don't know. Does Judas realize now that this kingdom is not going to look like what he thought? He thought he was signing up for this anarchy movement where they would rebel and now he's figured that we don't know, but for whatever reason, Judas joins the scribes and the chief priests, and he goes to talk to them. They agreed to pay him money. All they need is an opportunity to arrest him when he's not with the people, and Judas is going to help with that. Verse 7, then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb has to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. So at this point, it, at this point it's late at night, maybe into the next, like middle of the night. Jewish days are not like us. For whatever reason in our calendar, when does, kids, you can help me with this, when does the next day start? Like if it's, if it's Sunday, when does Monday start? Kids, help me. 12 o'clock. Yeah, in the middle of the night. We've, we've picked that time to start the next day. In the Jewish calendar, their understanding, the, the day, the new day starts at sunset. So Sunday, this evening, Sunday evening, when the sun sets, it is now Monday. So it is now Friday, the day Jesus will be killed. But it's just, it's after dark. And so Jesus in 9 through 13 tells the disciples, if you'll go, go find a man. There will be a room that is set aside for us to do the Passover together. Now, most of the Jews would do the Passover later that Friday evening, that afternoon evening. Jesus is going to do it early. Why is Jesus going to do it early? He has no more time left. In just a couple of hours, he will be arrested. Jesus knows his time is near. He knows this is his last opportunity to eat the Passover with the disciples. And so he says, let's do it tonight. Let's do it early. And he tells them, go ahead. There will be a place set. Verse 14, and when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, imagine the disciples. They don't know. Like, Jesus has never, all right, disciples, here we go. Here's the plan. Number one, boom. They don't know what's coming in just a couple of hours. Imagine these words. And you're hearing, that. okay, before you suffer, what does that mean? Like, you mean before we go into battle to kill the Romans and maybe, maybe you suffer and what's going on? Before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So Jesus knows this is his last meal with his disciples. He's been with them three years, ate several meals. He tells them that he is going to suffer. Jesus has told the disciples before this that he's going to be killed. But here's what's interesting about Jesus. He never tells the disciples why he's going to die. Again, if this is me, I'm like, all right, disciples, here we go. Here's the whole plan. I'm going to suffer and die for the sins of the world, and God's going to take the right. Jesus doesn't do that. He, gives, he tells them a few times, hey, the Son of Man will suffer, will die. My blood will be spilled. He never tells them the why. So once again, he says this. They've heard this before. They're probably just like, yeah, come on. Come on, Jesus. He could have given them a 30-minute 30 30 lesson about why he was going to go to the cross and die. But knowing Jesus as a Jewish rabbi, he doesn't do that. What does he do? He gives them a physical illustration. He shows them what he's going to do. And what Jesus does is he takes a celebration, a meal, that's done once a year, Feast of Unleavened Bread or Passover, and he participates in this meal with him. The Israelites have been doing this for about 1,500 years up to this point. Once a year, for 1,500 years, the Israelites have observed a meal on one day called the Passover. Think our Thanksgiving meal. And this is the day that that meal would take place. And so Jesus uses this meal as a tangible example to the disciples on what he is going to do. He gave them a meal, a Passover meal. It's called a Seder. Has anyone done a Passover Seder in here? Raise your hands. Has anyone done this? A few in the back? Yeah, a few of us have done this. 
You can go on YouTube and watch. The whole meal takes about two hours. It is loaded with like visual examples, traditions. It's just really cool. And I encourage you to do that. Um, but the idea of a Passover meal is it allows each generation of Israel, each new generation, to participate and feel as if they were the generation that was led out of Egypt. The Passover meal is a celebration of Israel's deliver, being delivered by the, from the hands of Pharaoh by Moses. So Israel's been, the, the people have done this for 1,500 years. They still do it now for 3,500 years. Every year, Jewish believers, or Jews, celebrate the Passover. Here's what Moses tells the people in Exodus 13. Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. And no leavened bread shall be eaten. So this two-hour meal called the Passover is loaded from front to end of all this imagery. And the idea is that one generation would teach the next generation the faithfulness and the goodness of God, and they do it as an example with a meal. And we're going to do that today as a meal. So here's what I need. I need some kids. I need six kids. And if you're third grade, third, fourth, fifth grade, you are open to come up. So I need some volunteers. Do I have any third? Okay, there's one. Come on up. You can come to the side over there. Who else? Brody in the back. Come on up. You're the pastor's kid. You don't even have to raise your hand. You just get called out. Who else? Do we have any other kids? Avery? Okay. Go right over there and they'll help you up. That's three. Ella, four. I can't see. We have some more. You want to? We got one? You want to go? All right, come on up. I think we need one more kid. I've been trying to, I've been, I've been trying to encourage some kids. I've been doing like, you're strong, you're brave. Do we have another hand? Third, fourth, fifth grader? Guys, help me in the crowd. I can't see. Oh, we got one? All right. Hey, give these kids a hand. No telling what's going to happen here, y'all. <laughs> Come on up, kids. All right, if you just want to sit, you want to sit right here? That'll work. Where's the ordinance? All right, good. Uh-oh, okay, that's all right. We can squeeze them in. Will you move over right there? Let's have you sit here. Avery, over here. Oh, yeah, we got a, more love here. All right, right here. You want to go in the corner? Um, that's my seat. <laughs> See, I've got, the, I've got the cushion, not you. <laughs> all right, bro, don't you uh, go up over here. We may have to kind of share some cups and stuff. We okay with that? Parents, you okay with that? All right. All right, you guys can have a seat right there. How y'all doing? Good. All right, so it's just, forget about them. It's just us up here now, okay? And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a meal together. It's called a Passover meal, okay? And here's the deal. Kids, I want you to ask questions. You guys are good at asking questions, aren't you? And your parents usually say, why, why? Because I said so. Well, today you can ask questions, okay? Um, and so this meal we're going to do is to help you guys understand the history of the Jewish people. So we're going to pretend that you are Jewish children, Israelite kids, okay? And I'm your papa. <laughs> You're not a kid. I'm not, I'm not a kid, I'm the papa. Okay. So, kids, you notice, is this how you eat dinner? Sitting on the floor? No, what do we sit in? Chairs, Chairs yeah. Well, in the Jewish tradition, they would set at tables like this. It's called reclining at the table. Now, they would usually have like pillows behind. And as you sit here, and you can do it, once you do it, you kind of lean on your left side like this. Lean backwards like this. Now, even this is an image for the children. Because the only people in that day that reclined at a table like this were free people. And this is a celebration of Israel not being slaves anymore and being free. And so even like the fact that we lean back on our left side is this cool image to teach you you're not a slave, you're free. Okay? And so you recline at the table, you can recline, you can sit up, you can do whatever you want. And the Passover meal starts 
with something called Kadesh, and that is blessing of the wine. Now, in any good Jewish meal, they would have wine. Now, you guys 21? No. No, we can't have one. Oh, you can't? Oh, I got grape juice. It's well. oh, we even have more cups. It's Welch's grape juice, because I didn't think you were 21. All right. So it starts with this. Now, don't drink it. We have to wait on everyone. You guys hand me your cups here, would you? And so the papa would pour the wine and would drink it slow so you don't get drunk, all right? Okay, so it starts with the blessing of the wine. And so here's what we're going to do. Whoa, that was me. It's a lot of stuff up here, isn't there? I better just put the lid back on and move it. All right. So everyone take your glass. We have, I don't have a glass. And we're going to hold up our glass. And we're going to say a blessing. Now, can you guys see the screen? Can we put the blessing up on the screen? All right. I want you guys to read it with me, okay? Do you see that up there? Okay. May you be blessed, Lord our God, King of the world, who creates the fruit of the vine. Let's, let's have a drink. Yeah. It's grape juice. <laughs> Nothing crazy. They're all like, what is it? It's grape juice. <laughs> Now, don't chug it, we're going to need this, okay? So just put it down. So if we go to the story, all right, kids, I want you to look, we're going to, you were here with me, all right? We go to the story of Jesus with the disciples. Here's what Luke says. I want you to listen to this. Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, when he had said what you just said, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. He gave them all wine. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes. So if you can imagine Jesus, Jesus with his disciples, it's his last time to eat with them, last time before he will die. And he takes the cup, just in the Jewish tradition, and he gives them all a drink. And he says, I will not drink of this anymore. This will be our last time together. How would you feel when he said that? Uh, yeah, it'd be sad, wouldn't it? And so I'm, I'm sure the disciples felt that. And so the first step, a Jewish Passover has many traditions. Now, this takes two hours. We're not going to do all that. So we're going to shorten it. There's all kinds of things we're going to do. But I am going to try to walk you through at least some of the steps of what happens. Okay? The next step is called the, I don't know if I can say this right, your hats. Can you say that? Like your hats, right? Now, this is a washing, a ceremonial washing, because no one wants to eat with dirty hands. So... Here's what the washing would say. You look on the screen, guys. We would say this together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us concerning the washing of hands. So there's a, there's a tradition on how you wash hands. And the, someone's supposed to pour it three times over your hands. And I think we have some towels. Oh, the towels are right here. So let's do this. One at a time, you'll just come up and put your hands over, and I'm just going to pour water three, both hands now. Okay, so one, two, three. All right, next one, and you can go ahead and dry your hands. And so, two, three, I didn't do that one very good. Two, three, just like that. Okay, you guys over here. One, two, three. Brody, you may have to come up and around here. Avery, around here. You lost your shoe. One, two, three. Okay. Avery? One, two, three. All right. Very good. Is that cold? Okay. So that's the second step is they would all wash their hands. And again, that's packed with imagery. We don't have time to get into all this, but you would wash your hands together. And then here's what Jesus said. So Jesus would have done that with disciples. He would have washed their hands. Is there another story that Jesus does and he washes something with disciples? What? Um, he sometimes baptizes them. He baptizes them? What else does he do? He washes their feet. He washes their feet, yeah. So you, they would have done this at many meals. It's this cool way just to serve someone to wash their hands or their feet. 
as they're eating, here's what Jesus says. He says, truly I say to you, and I want you to listen to me, kids, because I'm, I'm kind of Jesus in this story, and you're all the disciples. I thought Jesus had better hair than this. <laughs> he says, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. What's betray me? Like, turn their back, like, give them to the enemies. He says, one of you will betray me. And they were, they were very sad. And they began to say to one another, is it I? And he answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. So you can imagine, guys, if you, you've been walking, let's say I'm Jesus, you're the disciples. You've been with me for three years, doing everything together. We're friends. And to say that one of you will betray me, how are you going to feel? Nervous, like, what? And all the disciples are like, no, it's not me. Surely I won't betray you. Like, if you're Peter, Brody, Peter's like, I'd never betray you, Jesus. Now, what do we know about Peter? Do you guys remember? Yeah, he denies him. So every one of you are going to pretend like you don't know Jesus when he gets arrested. But one of them is going to betray Judas. Who was that? Or, I just told you, Jesus. Who was the person? Judas. Judas. Okay? Now, Jesus says, so he says, and I've always, this didn't make sense to me. He said, whoever I give, I'm going to dip my hand in a cup, and whoever dips this with me is the one to betray me. So here's what I always thought is that like, Brody, let's say you're Judas, okay? You were Peter earlier, but now you're Judas. Is that Jesus like took this and he like dicks something. He's like, boom, it's him. That's not what happens. Because if you know the Passover meal, the very next step is called carpus. And what happens is all of us are going to take something and we're going to dip it into this. So when Jesus says, one of you will betray me, it's whoever dips their hand in the cup. Who's going to dip their hand in the cup? All of us are. So the disciples don't know who this is. And so what this is, kids, this is water with salt, salt water, okay? And there's all kinds of traditions. And what we're going to do, everyone grab a vegetable here. There's cucumber, that's from my garden, the carrots, lettuce. Okay, now don't eat it yet, don't eat it yet. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a vegetable and we're going to dip it into the salt, into the salt water. Now, here's what, this, remember I said that this is, pat, this is like, has all kinds of images or examples in it? This is going to remind the people of Israel of the tears of the slaves. You ever tasted your tears? They taste kind of salty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, we're telling the story of Israel, the people being slaves. And dipping in the salt water is to remind us of the tears that the slaves would have cried because they were treated very badly. Okay, so let's all, let's all take our vegetable. Let's dip it in there. Make sure we don't spill our juice here. And you can eat it. That's salty. <laughs> what do you think, Brody? <laughs> it's not that bad, it's just salt water. If you think that's bad, just wait till what's next, buddy. All right. So you, when you guys eat this, it's supposed to remind you that one, like your great, 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 great grandparents were slaves. And they cried many tears because of how bad they were treated. And you guys can have more. Let's have another one. No. Oh, it's not that bad. It's just salt. I'm telling you, you guys ain't seen nothing yet, so... That's pretty good. All right. Now, at this point, here's what the Jewish children would have done. This is really cool. The Jewish children are actually encouraged to ask a lot of questions and kind of be a little rowdy at this meal. And you have some questions here on your, on your sheet of paper. And at this point in the meal, the kids are supposed to ask questions. And I want you to ask them, I don't want you to read it, what makes this night different from the others? I want you to read it like really excited all at the same time. You ready? And you don't have to read it together. Just We're going to all start reading these really loud and excited. Ready? Go. What, what, what makes this not... Keep going. Keep going. Why do you think it's better than tonight? More excited. More excited. 
Okay, good. So all the kids would have asked that, and here's what the papa's supposed to say. Now, kids, I like your questions. We're going to answer all these questions as we go through. Do you guys, well, I already answered one. Why do we recline at the table tonight? Do you remember? Why do we recline? Of what? Because we're free, right? And so these, these are some of the images the kids would have asked. Okay, and that takes us to a story. Now, I want you guys to listen. I'm going to tell you a story of why we celebrate this meal. Remember, you're going to be Jewish children. Your great, 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 great grandfather was named Abraham. And God came to Abraham one day and said, Abraham, I have a plan, and this plan is to fix this world. And he said to Abraham, 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 you will have a son, and out of this son will come a great nation, and out of this nation will come a rescuer. And so God came to Abram, and he told, gave him a promise, Abraham. Abram had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. 12 sons. That's a lot of kids. <laughs> 12 sons. One of those sons is called Joseph. Do you guys know the story of Joseph? Yeah. yeah. Joseph starts having dreams, and he's kind of a brat. And he tells, he tells his dreams to his older brothers who don't like him. And his older brothers, what do they do? You guys remember? They throw him in a pit. They throw him in a pit. Yeah, and they sell him, and they tell their father that he's dead, and, and Joseph... Yeah, well, hold on. Let me tell the story. You got, you're good. You're good. You want this microphone? Yeah. No, no, you're not getting it. Yeah, so Joseph gets taken to Egypt, and there he's treated really bad, but because of God's favor and God loving him, Joseph ends up like the second highest in command of all of Egypt. He's like the vice president. Okay. Well, in the meantime, there's, a, there's a, a famine in the land of his brothers. They don't have any food. And so they come to, to Egypt and Joseph's like, hey, surprise, I'm your brother. He should have he killed him, but he didn't. He blessed him. He brought him to his house. And then for hundreds of years, what happens is they all start having kids. And that leads to this really big group of people called the Israelites. It's your great, 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 great grandfathers. But a new king came into town. And this king didn't like your great-great-grandparents. And they made them slaves. And they made, he made them build pyramids and made them make bricks. And he would beat them and whip them. And they cried out to God, God, please deliver us because we're slaves. And while they were praying and crying out to God, God came to a man named Moses. And God told Moses, that he, his job was to go lead his people out of slavery. And so Moses came to the king, to Pharaoh, and he said, let my people go. What did Pharaoh say? No. no. And so God sent 12 plagues, like 12 heart bad things to happen to the king to try to get him to let his people go, but the Bible says that the king wouldn't do it. And so the last, last thing that happened 12th plague was really, 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 really bad. And we'll talk, we'll talk about it in a second. We'll talk about it in a second. But because of that, God, or Pharaoh, the king, let Israel go. And so like a million people, your great, 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 great grandparents, start leaving Egypt. But what happens? Pharaoh changes his mind. What's he do? He comes back to get them. And just as they're getting ready to, to, to get to the sea, here comes Pharaoh behind, and can you imagine this huge army coming to kill you? And you're right up against a sea, and you have nowhere to go. You're trapped. But what did God do? God made the waters part, right? And the children walked through, or all the people walked through on dry land. And then when the soldiers came up after him, the waters came back. And God saved your great-great-great-great-grandparents. And that's why you're here today, is because God saved them. Now, at this point, after we tell the story, we're going to lift the cup again, and we're going to thank God that he was faithful to deliver the people like he promised. Will you guys read with me again? Actually, we're going to read Psalm 113. This is the point we read the Psalms. Now, I'm going to read the first part, and you guys are going to read the second. I want you to look at the screen, okay? Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord be praised. The Lord is high above all nations. Good, now let's all read this together. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust, and he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. Now let's do the blessing of the, of the juice, of the juice. May the Lord, may you be blessed, Lord, O oh God, King of the world, who creates the fruit of the vine. And we drink it. Good. Now, this is the best part. The next stage is the eating of the unleavened bread. And so what Jesus would have done is he would have taken a loaf of bread just like this. So this bread's different than we normally use on Sunday. Our friends at Neighbor's Mill made us some unleavened bread. Now, why? This doesn't look like a normal loaf of bread, does it? It looks kind of like a Frisbee. <laughs> It's not moldy. <laughs> it's like Look. It looks flat because somebody stepped on it. It does. It does. So this bread is made without yeast. You know, what does yeast do? It makes it fluffy. Yeah, yeast is what makes it fluffy. You ever, if you ever made bread with your parents, you put yeast in, and, and over time it starts to grow, 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 right? Well, when, when the children of Israel were instructed by God that he was getting ready to save them, he said, don't put yeast in your bread. You know why? They didn't have time. They had all their bags packed. They didn't know when God was going to tell them, all right, it's time to leave. And so God had them make unleavened bread. And that's why we eat unleavened bread at Passover, is to remind us that they didn't have enough time. Here's what God said in Exodus to the children. They baked unleavened cakes of dough or bread that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait nor had they prepared any divisions for themselves. And then Jesus would have taken the bread and he would broke it like this. Now, when he breaks the bread like this, this is also supposed to remind you of the Red Sea parting for the children of Egypt or Israel to walk through it. Okay, and he would have taken the bread and he would have given a little bit to everyone. You just wait on everyone before you eat of it. Here we go. Now, he would have taken the bread and let's all eat together, right? We're good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's <laughs> butter. It needs butter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's like a hard old roll. Yeah. All right. So when Jesus took the bread, here's what Luke tells us. Jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks... He broke it and gave it to them, saying, now I want you to listen to what Jesus says. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now that is new. You've been to Passover many times. You've never heard that statement. Imagine Jesus said, like when I give you this bread and say, this is my body. You're like, what? That's really weird. And this would have taken the disciples by, by the surprise. Now why did Jesus tell them this was his body? And why did we break the bread? It's, it's like his body when he's going to die. Yeah, so listen, this is, this is, this is sad. But Jesus' body was broken. He was beat and whipped. And his flesh was torn. He had nails that went through his hands. Like Jesus' body was broken. And so even the way we break this bread, is supposed to remind us of Jesus and his body being broken. So Jesus takes something they've done many, many times, and Jesus puts himself at the center of it. And he tells them, this, my body would be broken for your benefit, for your life. So they're eating the bread. Now you may want to save some of this, because this part's not very fun. The next step. You have no idea. All right. The next step is called the marar, or the bitter herb. Now, this is horseradish. It doesn't come from a horse, although it looks like it could. It doesn't come from a horse. Okay? It's something, you get up here. You're running. 
And this is not fun to eat. I'll just tell you. It, it kind of like, it kind of like punches you in the nose a little bit. But here's what I promise. It doesn't last long. And the Hebrew children, like the Israelite children, would have eaten this every year. And this has a story behind it. Like the reason we're going to eat this is they want us to remember, they want you to remember that the people of your grandparents were treated really, really badly. Let's look at, the, let's look at this scripture, Exodus 1.12. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread about, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and brick and mortar and all kinds of work in the field. And all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So this is going to remind us that, the, that it was bitter for the people of Israel. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a piece of lettuce. This will help. Okay. Okay, just hold it. Yeah, we're going to eat it together. Just hold it. We're going to, no, come on, you, you volunteered. I, I know I didn't tell you what you're going to do, but you volunteered. <laughs> hey, it's not that bad. I've tried it a few times. It's really not that bad. Here you go. You can, yeah, you can trust, well, I don't know. You have to ask my kids if you can trust me or not. Here you go. Hold it. Just kind of make a little, little uh, horse, <coughs> horseradish sandwich. <coughs> I can already. Now, don't eat it yet. Now, if any of you are brave, I have some big pieces. You just want to pop one of those in your mouth. They're right there. Go for it, buddy. Easy. Don't spill your juice. Wait, do we have to eat No, you can just... No, don't taste it yet. There you go. The lettuce kind of helps dilute it a little bit. I know. I know. Oh, I almost didn't have enough for me. That'd be a shame. That's a big piece. All right, there you go. Okay. So, kids, remember, as you eat this, it's not just like, I mean, we can laugh and you can, but it's, what are we reminding ourselves of when we eat this? The Jewish. What, I mean, the, the what about them? The slaves and how hard it was for them. Okay, you guys ready? And after you eat it, you can, you can, after you eat it, you can eat some bread or drink some of your juice there. Okay. Here we go. Cheers. There's more here if you want it. Oh. Yeah, it stings, doesn't it? Watch your juice there. Yeah, you have more bread. There you go. Well, you have more in front of you. Anyone want more? Okay, me neither. Adults, I'll put that at the front of the stage. When you guys are done today, come on down. You should try it. You should try it. So this meal... This meal was for every generation. All right, y'all listen to me now. Every generation. The idea is that you feel like you are one of the slaves leaving Egypt. And it brings you into the story. Now, the next stage of the meal is we have a lamb. We have meat. But in the story with Jesus and the disciples, they didn't have a lamb. Why do you think they didn't have a lamb? Well, they didn't have much money, but that's not a good, good guess. Why else? Why do you think? for money so they can get rich. No, Jesus wasn't into getting rich. Here's why they didn't have a lamb. Because Jesus was going to tell them that he was the lamb. See, lambs would be killed. And, and <laughs> I know, it's strong. Lambs would be killed. And they would, you would eat the lamb, and they would represent lambs being slain and blood being spilled. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to be the lamb. I'm going to die for you all. That's what Jesus told them. And eating the bitter herbs, it reminds us that Pharaoh was really mean to the people. And you know what? At times, you know who turns into Pharaoh? We do. You ever been mean to people? Yeah. You ever said bad things about people? Yeah. Yeah, we all turn into Pharaoh. Each generation, we turn into Pharaoh at times. And so Jesus is announcing that I am the lamb. 
and I'm going to die because sometimes we're Pharaoh, because sometimes we're sinners and we're broken. I found a video, this is from the Bible Project, who is really good, and this video, it's about five minutes, is going to help you guys understand the story of the Passover lamb. So let's just turn and watch it here. The book of Exodus. It's the second book of the Bible, and it picks up the storyline from the previous book, Genesis, which ended with Abraham's grandson, Jacob, leading his large family of 70 people down to Egypt. Now, Jacob's 11th son, Joseph, had been elevated to second in command over Egypt, and he had saved his whole family in a famine. And so Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, offered the family to come live there as a safe haven. And so eventually Jacob dies there in Egypt, and Joseph and all his brothers do too. About 400 years pass, and the story of the Exodus begins. Now that name refers to the event that takes place in the first half of the book, Israel's exodus from Egypt. But the book has a second half that takes place at the foot of Mount Sinai. In this video, we'll just focus on the first half, where centuries have passed and the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied and they filled the land. Now this line is a deliberate echo back to the blessing that God gave all humanity back in the Garden of Eden. And it reminds us of the big biblical story so far. Humanity forfeited God's blessing through sin and rebellion, and so God chose Abraham's family as the vehicle through which he would restore his blessing to all the world. But the new Pharaoh does not view Israel as a blessing. He actually thinks this growing Israelite immigrant group is a threat to his power. And so just as in Genesis, humanity rebels against God's blessing, so here Pharaoh attempts to destroy the source of God's blessing, the Israelites. He brutally enslaves them in forced labor, and then he orders that all the Israelite boys be drowned in the Nile River. Now, Pharaoh, he is the worst character in the Bible so far. His kingdom epitomizes humanity's rebellion against God. Pharaoh has so redefined good and evil according to his own interests that even the murder of innocent children has become good to him. And so Egypt has become worse than Babylon from the book of Genesis. And so now Israel cries out for help against this new Babylon, and God responds. God first turns Pharaoh's evil upside down as an Israelite mother throws her boy into the Nile River, but in a basket. And so he floats safely right down into Pharaoh's own family. He's named Moses, and he grows up to eventually become the man that God will use to defeat Pharaoh's evil. In the famous story of the burning bush, God appears to Moses and commissions him to go to Pharaoh and order him to release the Israelites. And God says that he knows Pharaoh will resist, and so he will bring his judgment on Egypt in the form of plagues. Then God also says that he will harden Pharaoh's heart. And so we're introduced into the next main part of the story, the confrontation between God and Pharaoh. Now, what does this mean that God says he'll harden Pharaoh's heart? It's super important to read this section of the story really closely and in sequence. In Moses and Pharaoh's first encounter, we're told simply that Pharaoh's heart grew hard. There's no implication that God did anything. And so in response, God sends the first set of five plagues, each one confronting Pharaoh and one of his Egyptian gods. And each time, Moses offers a chance for Pharaoh to humble himself and to let the Israelites go. But after each plague, we're told that Pharaoh either hardened his heart or that his heart grew hard. He's doing this of his own will. And so eventually, it's with the second set of five plagues that we begin to hear how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So the point of the story seems to be this. Even though God knew that Pharaoh would resist his will, God still offered him all of these chances to do the right thing. But eventually, Pharaoh's evil reaches a point of no return. I mean, even his own advisors think that he has lost his mind. And it's at that point that God takes over and bends Pharaoh's evil towards his own redemptive purposes. God lures Pharaoh into his own destruction as he saves his people, which is what happens next. With the final plague, it's the night of Passover, and God turns the tables on Pharaoh. Just as he killed the sons of the Israelites, so God will kill the firstborn in Egypt with a final plague. But unlike Pharaoh, God provides a means of escape through the blood of the lamb. 
And here the story stops and introduces us in detail to the annual Israelite ritual of Passover. On the night before Israel left Egypt, they sacrificed a young spotless lamb and painted its blood on the doorframe of their house. And when the divine plague came over Egypt, the houses covered with the blood of the lamb were passed over and the sun spared. And so every year since, the Israelites have reenacted that night to remember and to celebrate God's justice and his mercy. But Pharaoh, because of his pride and rebellion, he loses his own son. And he's compelled to finally let the Israelites go free. And so the Israelite slaves make their exodus from Egypt. But no sooner do they leave that Pharaoh changes his mind. And he gathers his army and chases after the Israelites for a final showdown. As the Israelites pass through the waters of the sea safely, Pharaoh charges towards his own destruction. The Exodus story concludes with the first song of praise in the Bible. It's called the Song of the Sea. And the final line declares that the Lord reigns as king. And then the song retells in poetry what the story of God's kingdom is all about. It's about how God is on a mission to confront evil in his world and to redeem those who are enslaved to evil. God is going to bring his people into the promised land where his divine presence will live among them. This story is what it looks like when God becomes king over his people. So, when it's time to eat the lamb, we're all supposed to remember. And you heard the story, and I want, I want to make sure you hear this and pay attention to me. This is kind of a sad story. The Israelites are slaves, and God wants to free them, but Pharaoh won't let them go. And so the very last thing that God does is God tells the people, tonight I'm going to kill the firstborn child, the oldest child in every family, Egyptian and Israelite. But God gives them a way to escape that. And he gives that to Israelites or Egyptians. Is if they take a lamb and they slit the throat of the lamb and it bleeds. And then they take the blood and they paint it over the doorstep. If you do that, then your son or daughter, the oldest, will not die. They will live. And so the Passover is a celebration, a remembering, that God passed over the children and didn't kill the children whose the blood was over. And so Jesus takes the cup once again and he says this. This cup is poured out for you. It's the new covenant of my blood. Let's drink. So here's what Jesus tells him. We don't have a Passover lamb today. We don't have a Passover lamb tonight. We're not going to eat that lamb, but I'm going to be the Passover lamb and I'm going to pour out my blood. And this wine or this juice is to represent now Jesus' blood and that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. And Jesus gives people an opportunity to follow him. And just like the blood would go over the doorpost and would save you to save you because of Jesus' blood. And in about eight hours from this point, maybe less than that, Jesus' blood will be. Jesus will be whipped and his blood will splatter. Every time they whip him, his blood will splatter. They'll put a crown of thorns and the blood will come down. When they pierce his hands and his feet, he will bleed. And Jesus wants us to remember that when we drink and celebrate a meal together, that this is like his blood and it's poured out for you and for him. Hey, thank you all. Thanks for coming to do this with me. Yeah, you can have some bread as you leave here. Okay, thank you all. You can go on back to your parents. Going off, kids. Going off. Adults, let me talk to you. Thank you for being here with us. I had no idea how that would go. Just as God led the people of Israel out of the bonds of slavery of Pharaoh. So Jesus has led us out of the bonds of slavery of sin. And for us, most of us don't celebrate a Passover meal. But in doing this Passover meal, Jesus now gives us a different meal. And that meal is called communion. And every time we eat of this meal, 
It's a physical, it's a tangible example of what happened at the Last Supper, what Jesus did. And so communion for us is just like the Passover for Israel. It's loaded with imagery. So I want you guys to think about us doing communion here. When you come down in a little bit, what do you bring with you? What do you bring with you? Nothing. That's an image. Because you bring nothing to offer God. It's all because of the grace of Jesus. Together, when you come up and we take the bread and you tear it, Jesus wants you to remember, like, that's my body. It was torn. It was broken. And it's on behalf of you. This meal is a symbol. As you come and you drink the wine, Jesus wants you to see wine. And wine's such a cool thing, and I know we use juice here, but it's a symbol of celebration, of gladness. But yet, the bitterness, the sting of wine is a symbol also of the death. And so when Jesus takes the wine, he says, listen, like that's my blood. Now, we don't believe it's the literal blood of Jesus, but it represents. When you come and receive communion, you'll notice here at Hill City that you are given communion. You don't come and take it yourself. You're served communion. Jesus served his disciples. We serve one another. When we take communion, we do it as a community. All of this is loaded with images because just like the children of Israel that every year would do the Passover, so for us, every week when we gather together, this meal is a reminder. Parents, let me talk to you. Here's what Psalm says. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. The Jews took the Passover meal very serious and it was really directed at kids. It's the whole meal is meant to engage the imagination of kids. Parents, we must teach our children. We must teach them. Find images, find meals, find stories to teach your kids the goodness of God. The Bible says one generation will declare to the next his goodness, his praises. I'm going to challenge us as parents to keep engaging our kids at Hill City Church, we don't believe it's our job to teach your kids everything. We're going to partner with you as you teach your kids. One generation will commend to another. So this story of the Passover, it's a story of God leading Israel out of bondage and slavery. Adults, let me talk to you. Where does Jesus need to lead, lead you out of slavery today? Like none of us walked in with shackles on our hands, but we haven't. And communion is a weekly reminder of us that Jesus offers to remove the shackles of sin. I don't know what that is for you. We, have, and we can name some things. What is it? What are you slave to? And as you come to receive communion today, can you hear the invitation of Jesus to say, you don't have to be slave to that anymore. I'm here. I've died for it. Let's bring you into communion with one another and let's work this out so we can start to let go of these shackles. It's loaded with imagery. So we're going to receive communion now. And it's a reminder that on the last day, Jesus, on the last night, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is poured out for you. Every time you do this, remember me. And we have these loaves we're going to use communion for today. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood. It was poured out. Every time you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. As you come and receive communion today, may you be reminded just as God led Israel from the bondage of Pharaoh, so he leads us out of the bondage of sin through Jesus. Let's stand together.